Hey everyone, and welcome back to Any Crack with me, Shannon Callahan. Welcome back, everyone. It may become this is an every other week type of gig from here on out because life is busy. Who would have thought? What am I talking about today? Right. If you remember from last season's bonus episodes, I had an idea for a new segment to incorporate into the podcast where I invite people on to chat about various aspects of American and Irish history and actually use my degree sort of kind of for for today's episode i am joined by dermot to talk about the easter rising one of many irish rebellions against british rule this uprising is marked as a turning point in ireland's push for independence and it is situated within a decade of significant events in ireland that are now coming up on their centenary commemorations celebrations um reminder emails Stay tuned uh, to hear us chat about that event, its significance, and the lasting impacts of the rebellion. Also, before I get into it and play our chat, uh, Dermot has a podcast called Go On Guess, and it's really interesting and actually was when I kind of had the idea for this one. It was just really encouraging to know somebody who had done it and I had reached out to Dermot about it and he was super helpful. So um, also just a plug to give uh go on guess a listen um i hope you enjoy hey dermot thanks for coming and joining me today i think i'm going to start by having you introduce yourself where you're from why i asked you to join me today and because i'm a great podcaster i and because i prepped you for this question i will ask you what your favorite thing about me is because that's <laughs> a carryover from season 1 that i think I enjoyed, if no one else did. <laughs> no bother. Uh, so my name is Darren Bulger. I am a historian from here in Dublin. I'm working in a museum in Dublin as well. Uh, so my area of interest is primarily modern Irish history, focusing on the Irish Revolutionary Period and also on Irish sporting history as well. It's worth saying that I know the section is called Shan uses her degree. And it's worth saying that you and I also have the same degree in we public history public history, cultural heritage and Trinity College. Um, Trinity. Absolutely. And it's also worth saying, I think the other reason you've invited me here is because we're going to be discussing the 1916 Rising. And mm-hmm. in 2020, I was involved in creating a kind of virtual tour documentary on the Rising uh, starring Miss Shannon Callahan. So uh, I'm sure we'll subtly plug that at the end later on. Uh, in regards to the question of what's my favourite uh, thing about Shannon, uh, I think there's a number of things. I uh, First of all, I admire your bravery to invite an Irish person onto your podcast and to open with that question of basically what do you like about me? Uh, I also admire your uh, ability to handle uh, uh, an Irishman with no ability with tech whatsoever. Uh, for the listener, we've been like 20 minutes setting up here because yeah. I haven't known what to do. Uh, and also, if I'm working with you, I've immensely enjoyed your ability to create and to encourage others to uh, write top quality puns uh, from our time working together. You were always happy to uh, launch as many puns as possible at me, and I immensely, uh, immensely enjoyed that. Thank you. Thank you. I actually, I must say, um, they have changed the menu so that that cocktail we named, I believe, is now 
uh, one for the the history books, unfortunately. But I also no longer work there, so I didn't have any ability to to intervene in naming new ones. But that's um, tr- legitimately much. tragic. Yeah, yeah, that's the saddest <laughs> thing we'll hear about today. <laughs> um, yeah, so let's get started. Um, if you know from the title, this is about the Easter Rising. So we're going to talk about this is a a, a moment, uh, an event in time that is kind of marked as really changing the tide in Ireland, uh, gaining independence from Great Britain. Of course, there's a long history of rebellion in Ireland. What's it's um, 800 years of of British rule. So lots of rebellions within that and kind of this gets marked for reasons that we'll discuss as kind of the moment that really instigated a lot of the change. I also am going to highlight at the start so I don't forget to highlight as we get going that this is one of many events in what is now called like now celebrated as the decade of centenaries. So it's a span of 10 years, 1913 to 1923, where a lot of shit happened basically in Ireland. <laughs> Just... uh, I believe a lot of shit happened is the Irish government's tagline yeah. for the last 10 years. Yeah. Just like a lot went down. Um, <laughs> and so this is an event kind of sandwiched in the middle of everything. Um, and so we're going to kind of talk a little bit later, especially as we are like public historians about like how the celebrations looked a hundred years after the event um, and kind of the experience of that for, for Dermot. So I suppose we should start with like, what 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 is the Easter Rising? And like, why am I releasing the episode? Well, it'll be next week now, but why am I releasing the episode? And what was the event? I mean, it's, it's one of those questions that should be really easy to answer and is also at the same time spectacularly complicated to try and answer. I guess the simplest way of describing it is the Easter Rising essentially was a six-day rebellion that took place primarily in Dublin. You see like little skirmishes around the country, but primarily speaking, it, it takes place in Dublin uh, between about 1,500 uh, Irish men and women uh, made up of a variety of different groups fighting against the uh, British Empire. Uh, on the first day, they declared uh, Ireland to be a republic. Uh, they'd written like a pro- this proclamation that declared this. And um, yeah, and then basically just dug in locations around the city centre and sort of said, you know, come at me to the British and see what they do. And the fighting lasts for about six days. And then the rebels uh, have to surrender because they're, you know, they're greatly outnumbered. They're strategically their locations the Jews are quite poor and they get overrun very easily uh, and they have to surrender and that's sort of it um, but it's the aftermath of 1916 and what kind of comes as a consequence of it that's seen and held up as this ex- huge moment in Irish history that will eventually lead to uh, Irish independence and the Ireland we have uh, today. Yeah that's kind of the part that like when we like when I would be giving tours and stuff it's kind of what we really drove home was the the surrender and the aftermath you see immediately on surrender that like the general Irish public was kind of like disinterested or very frustrated because their daily lives had been interrupted in such a way they now had to be you know a lot more 
conscientious of where they were heading and they weren't they were kind of annoyed I think is the general vibe that was <laughs> happening towards the end but then we get to the consequences of the rising the executions and that's where you see public tide public opinion kind of turn turn the tide um and what would result then in a war of independence a civil war and so on and so forth um so I suppose will we before we get to the end dropping back a bit to the beginning thinking about the proclamation um the seven signatories who signed it um you had mentioned like it was a rebellion of people from various groups interest groups so I suppose we can do kind of a brief like chat about who the signatories were why they were the ones um who signed it and like the proclamation itself the one thing that I always touch on it's the well besides the the typos that are this is if we would be getting really really into this is me going off on a tangent about like <laughs> the speed and the secrecy with which they had to create a document that was basically like fuck you England like we're no longer interested in being ruled by your king but the the other bit is kind of the things that it declared the the civil liberties it was guaranteeing and kind of naming Irish men and Irish women straight away it's the first sort of document of its kind that we see that does that so I suppose let's start kind of with the the proclamation Podrick Pierce reading that out on the first day of the rebellion outside of the the GPO yeah so the pro the proclamation is sort of held up as like one of the biggest most important sort of documents and artifacts in Irish history essentially it's written by a myriad of individuals who make up the people involved in organizing this rebellion. So when you mentioned there, um, Podrick Pierce, for example, who is uh, a poet, a playwright, a school teacher from Dublin. And that's an important point actually to make. So a lot of people organizing this rebellion are necessarily, you know, military leaders, military tacticians. They are like poets, playwrights, that sort of thing. And basically he and uh, many other signatories were, uh, six in total, were involved with a group called the Irish Volunteers. Uh, and also involved a group called the IRB. The IRB, or Irish Republican Brotherhood, was basically a secret, outbound uh, Republican organization looking for complete independence for uh, Ireland. The seven signatories, it's worth saying, is a man called uh, James Connolly. He's actually a Scottish man who belonged to a group called the Irish Citizens Army, which is a uh, socialist organization also looking for Ireland to be independent, but also to be like uh, to be a, a like a social republic. I think it's important to say that in the context of the proclamation because it's a hugely progressive document from the beginning. Like you said, it's addressed to Irish men and Irish women. And it's very much saying at that point that this is like an equal Ireland for both men and for women. Uh, and the Citizens Army themselves allowed women to be a part of their organization. And many famous women involved in the rebellion, like, say, uh, Countess Margaret, for example, would have been involved with Citizens Army. But also we're saying it calls for... Uh, equalities in say religion for example in society as a whole um so it's a hugely progressive document and most importantly it's calling for complete independence all over uh, for, for the entirety of of ireland and also calling for help in this from its uh its graduates gallant allies in uh europe which would have at this time actually have been uh germany who uh, the rebels had tried and somewhat successfully managed to get uh, some weapons to bring in to actually use in the 1916 rising 
Um, so it's a hugely important document and it's read out on the first day of the rebellion by Padraig Pierce uh, outside a building called the GPO in Dublin to a generally sort of bemused Dublin crowd who don't mm. quite know what's going on, but there's just men everywhere, uh, most of them with guns, smashing windows of buildings uh, and no one quite knowing what exactly is going on. And I think too, yeah, situating this in the larger history, like 1916 obviously is smack dab in the midst of World War One. So certainly a lot of soldiers would have been off fighting um, there, but also in regards to kind of why Ireland would have taken up Germany as an ally. It was, if I'm not mistaken, it was a, the enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of situation. Mm-hmm. And so that certainly makes for an interesting strategy that like you said they were you know somewhat successful in in getting weapons from germans um and from germany yeah and then so they read this proclamation everything kicks off they're they're trying to use as well thinking through like world war one you know being in the midst of that fighting there was you know no fighting in ireland of course but like um certainly they would have been hearing about reports from the trenches and things like that so even attempting to um engage in military tactics as you said they're teachers and poets they're not really army uh army trained um so they're attempting they're playing at army um through what they know and what they kind of learn from what's going on during the war yeah it's funny i mean you use the example there of trenches is the perfect example of this one thing that they do um, is they take over uh, a, a place in Dublin called Stevens Green, which um, for people who are listening to this who aren't, uh, who aren't from Dublin, it's basically like a large public park in the city centre. Uh, and they start digging trenches in the uh, uh, corner of the park because this is what you do in the First World War. But they don't necessarily think it through fully because it's... As, as you'll know, it's entirely surrounded by really tall buildings, uh, most famously one being the Shelburne Hotel. So the British Army just rock up to the Shelburne Hotel on the second day of the rebellion. I think it's one o'clock in the morning, go up to the roof and just start shooting down into the trenches because obviously trench warfare doesn't work if one side has a massive aerial advantage directly yeah. over the other one. Um, and they very, very quickly realize, oh, we shouldn't be here. So they run to the Royal College of Surgeons, which is right beside the park. And one of those buildings where if you go past it today, actually, you can still see the bullet holes from the rest of the fighting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a good example there of like, you said, like they're poets and playwrights. They're not necessarily tacticians. And they're, you don't want to say they're making up as they're going along, but there was certainly some decisions they made that didn't quite make sense. Um, but they're sort of kind of working out as they're going along. Yeah. Yeah. And I think kind of as will like, gosh, we give, you know, you can give a tour that lasts 45 minutes that gets a lot more in depth about this. We could literally do a whole episode on like one of the signatories alone. Like I'm not going to pretend like this podcast will like cover in any way the depths of, of what the rising what happened during the rising i think what's really interesting for people who have never heard about it at all is like you hear this summary of the rebellion which is six days 
They didn't really have a whole lot of military experience. There were about 1,500 people who participated. The public wasn't really enthused. And then it ended. I suppose then, as you alluded to, like, and what I think gets really interesting is actually how did this come to be, why does this come to signify the a turning point in Irish history that leads to their independence, um, kind of starting from like the surrender into the executions. Spoiler alert, there's executions. I don't know if yeah. I said that yet. <laughs> yeah, well, People that, get in trouble. <laughs> yeah, you should put an age warning now on this podcast. Oh this yeah, we probably, are going into the execution. We will be talking about um, for those who are uncomfortable with death uh, by the hands of retaliatory. Oh, I can't actually finish that sentence. <laughs> I'm going to get very graphic in about three minutes time. So you yeah. have been, your viewers have been warned. No, but yeah. you are totally right. It's worth saying um, that what's fascinating with 1916 and what's so significant is what comes to the end. I mean, yeah. when the rebels are actually leaving Dublin, being taken away by the British soldiers, like they're getting mud and stones thrown at them by the, the Dublin people. I mean, even you mentioned the First World War and is an important context because there's a huge amount of Dubliners fighting in the First World War. So you've women on the streets saying, you know, why are you fighting the British Army? Our men are in the British Army. And Dubliners, Ireland is it's worth saying, is relatively content in Britain. There's no huge push to actually leave in the first place. So that's a really important context to put this in. But it's sort of what happens afterwards becomes so significant because, because I mentioned earlier, the IRB are a very secret organisation. The British don't necessarily know, you know, who exactly do we blame this on? Who exactly is responsible? And also who exactly even fought? So we see about 1,500 people fighting. We see about 3,500 people being arrested around the country. We also see um, about 2,500 or so being sent off to um, prison camps. Um, most famously, say, Frangok in Wales, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and spending like about a year or so over there. But the most important thing, really, and you said there, are the executions. So we see uh, in total of 90 people being sentenced to death. Now that gets knocked down to um, uh, 15. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it takes place over the course of about a week or so. Uh, so you've got, to say, the seven signatories. And then sort of other individuals who are just maybe involved. Like, say, um, you, we mentioned Padraig Pierce earlier. Uh, his brother, Willie Pierce was executed as well, um, despite not being involved in the organization of the Rising. He had fought in the Rising. He'd been in the, the, the GPO, but he hadn't actually fought in that. And increasingly, people are, the public in Ireland turning around and sort of going, this seems like an unnecessary response to what's going on. This all seems a bit too much. And then, very famously, the last man executed is that man, James Connolly, I mentioned earlier, the Scottish man who led the Irish Citizens Army. And he had been injured during the rising, he'd taken a bullet to the arm and a bullet to the leg, and he couldn't actually walk. And he was basically going to die of his injuries. It was, there was inevitability to it. Mm-hmm. But rather than just let that happen, uh, he was brought to command jail, which is where the executions took place. And he was executed there. But he also couldn't stand for the execution, so they had to tie him into a chair instead. Yeah. Uh, and it's a hugely emotional and powerful kind of image that goes around the country. And it makes the 1916 leaders martyrs and it makes 
people want to turn around, people turn around so he's not supporting what the, the rebels had been fighting for in the first place. And it, that complete sort of sea change that goes from people being totally against the rising when it's actually happening to supporting its kind of supporting what these people wanted, which some people argue was the point of 1916 in the first place. Was this meant to be a blood sacrifice to inspire the next generation? Mm. And whether it was or it wasn't is, is up for debate, but ultimately that is that is what happens. As we're saying, one more person is executed a couple of months later to bring the total up to uh, 16. So 16 mm. people are executed at the end. Yeah, it's it's the it's the piece that I think if you're not familiar with Irish history, which kind of part of the inspiration behind like this segment is that like in coming here, one of the biggest things I realized was that we don't like at least I mean, I can only speak for myself, but like I didn't realize the depth of this when I moved over here. I didn't know. I, I, I had a very vague understanding of Ireland gaining independence and I didn't know about this event specifically and I arrived in 2018 so I would have arrived after um, obviously after the centenary celebration would have happened but you learn very quickly it is kind of still in part probably because the the decade of centenaries is still going on but it is still very much a part of the narrative it's still you know you take one bus tour you're gonna hear about it um but it really i think always kind of comes back to those executions specifically uh, james Connolly's execution um and that moment kind of something clicks turns changes and then you see going into 1918 and beyond you see war of independence um the civil war and so on and so forth and we're coming into that centenary well we are in the midst of that centenary before we move on because i do while i have you i really think it'll be interesting like rather than trying to get into more of the nitty-gritty of like who the players were and you know they did this at this building and this at this i think it'd be really interesting to hear a bit more about like how the centenary was celebrated and how it has kind of the legacy of it has changed but i suppose are there any last bits about it that if somebody's coming to learn about this for the first time or if they're kind of it's a refresher um any like interesting pieces to note any recommendations for um things to even google or like look up um anything that springs to mind in that regard besides our our tour <laughs> which I was I'll just going to say that you won't get away with not putting a link to this in your like episode description i don't live. know if i can well sure i don't really work there anymore so it's okay um but yeah i mean i think the film you and i worked on i think is a good example someone to take a look at about it i think that we really like if someone it, it's you can hear that there if you're in ireland i mean sort of good luck getting away from it yeah and then it's sort of everywhere any tour that you do any almost any that you see kind of a historical perspective it's going to be there it's i want to talk this kind of in a second really but it's just a constant it's 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 such a huge moment in irish history i mean like if you walk around so many of the like streets in dublin or train stations are named after these individuals yeah. who fought yeah. in the way that say the war of independence civil war you don't see that happening um, is very much yeah. a, 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 nine, a 1916 thing. Um, so yeah, a, a 
before I can get into the next question here as well, but, but like it, it's just sort of everywhere. So if you're in Dublin, I mean, you won't <laughs> you won't be able to avoid it, quite yeah. frankly. Yeah, definitely not. Um, I think one of my favorite facts about the 1916 is the like mustard painting on the flag in Countess Markovich's house and the dog potentially chewing it. There's um so Dermot had mentioned Countess Markovich um as one of the many women who participated in the rising. She was actually she was sentenced to death. She was one of the people who was sentenced mm. to death. Her sentence was commuted because they weren't going to execute a woman. She ended up being very active in the years uh to come, but she obviously as all of the plans were coming together. She let her house be used as a, a meeting point. And in any sort of big event, symbolism is really important. Flags become a big part of this event. And so they were making a flag. And oh, this remind me how the, the story goes, because you, you have it better than I do, I think. So the story basically goes that they were... Um creating a flag in Candace Marcus's home. This is like a, maybe a day, day or two before the rising. And they were paint, it was a, a green flag, which was actually, a, it was a, one of her bed sheets that they painted green. Yes. And then they were painting the words Irish Republic on the top of it. And they were using kind of like a, an orangey, going to use like an orangey kind of gold paint. And the sort of story as it goes is that they didn't have any uh, actual paints. They said, oh, well, look, we'll use mustard. It'll look fine or whatever. And doing that, that's all fine. And just kind of end up coming to the end of it. One fact that they hadn't considered was the fact that uh, Markovich has a dog called Poppet, like a mm-hmm. very sort of small kind of, I think it's like a cocker spaniel possibly. And uh, Poppet was very hungry. So Poppet famously jumped onto the piano, which we were using as a base to paint it on, and basically bit off a massive corner of the flag. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, the fact is that, you know, they don't have, you can't just print another one. So they had to actually right. take this, right, that's just us, and take it and hang it actually from one of the main buildings in the city centre. And I guess just hope no one noticed this massive, like, uh, tear in the flag. Mm-hmm. But, like, 916 is full of these just weird, very human yeah. stories. Just one that I just saw very, very quickly that I don't think is worth sharing is going back to Stephen's Green, um, that big public park. There's quite a famous story of Oh yes, yeah. Uh, the two, the, the the Irish and British soldiers are all shooting at each other, and about halfway through, in the second day, a man comes running in, waving a, a white flag. He clearly on neither side, uh, so both sides stop firing. Going, who like who's sent this guy into the middle of us? And he runs to the center of the park, gets to the large pond that's in the center of Stephen's Green, and then from his back pocket pulls out a loaf of bread, mm-hmm. and then just begins to feed all the ducks that are sitting in the park. And then picks up the white flag, starts waving it desperately again, runs back out, and then drops the flag. And then they, the soldiers all just start shooting at each other again. And then every day for the rest of the ride, I think for the next, what, three or four days, 11 o'clock, he would run in with his flag, feed the ducks, leave. And he actually uh, won uh, an RSPCA medal for this, like, a year later. Uh, and uh, very famously, no ducks were killed in 1916. Yes. Yes. Um, no but 19 is just full of those little stories, very human yeah. stories. Yeah. And then so jumping ahead to then the centenary celebration, that is a big part, I think, um, that we can talk about 
as how it was remembered then because from my understanding in kind of not living it but studying it like every every museum wanted every cultural institution every school university everybody wanted their um kind of story to be told about how they were involved in 1916 how they like who came and ran by or you know did they have a story like that were they able to collect um certainly artifacts and objects from families who had donated so that is kind of one of the pieces i think to talking about the centenary celebration do you um dearman have any thoughts as to where you were in dublin when it you would have been in. I mean, I, I was in. I mean, I was living in Dublin. Ironically, actually, I was in London for the actual, like the day of centenary itself. I was okay. Well, I was. I mean, the whole, yeah, um, the, the whole year, I was certainly there. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think that the the key theme with the centenary, I think it's important to talk about it. Was it was the hundred anniversary was never seen as a celebration of what happened. It was always very important to see as a commemoration. Yeah. Um, because 50 years previously, for the 50th anniversary, there had been this huge celebration of this amazing thing that happened 50 years previously. And it's, I don't know, we'll go into the road. We're not going to go down with this because t- we go on such a tangent. But yeah. uh, it's Irish seen as one of the factors behind. <laughs> it's spectacularly complicated. Probably because we all know each other. But like, <laughs> probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But is that the '66 is seen as one of the factors behind uh, the the troubles breaking out in Northern Ireland a couple of years later? Yeah. And um, so there's a sense in 2016 of we don't want to be a celebration, we want to be a commemoration instead, mm-hmm. and also that we want to not focus so much on your Podrick Pierce history, James Connolly's. We want to focus on the other stories that are involved. So, mm-hmm. for example, say one of the key things that came out and probably the most important things was the role that women played in 1916. Yeah. Um, this had been, like, essentially totally ignored 50 years, really up, t- up until probably about the early 2000s. It just was never spoken the fact that women were involved in this. But there's a huge push in 2016 to get those stories out there. And I think as well, and also say, for example, the role that uh, children played in the rebellion mm-hmm. as well. Uh, again, just wasn't really spoken about, but there was a sense that these stories have to become revealed. And I think a new touch on there too, the fact that people wanted their individual family stories to be told. Yeah. Uh, people wanted to, the amount of the like, pop-up exhibitions you saw around the country of people, and, oh, well, like there was like 10 people from our little town in Kilmockridge in Wexford who were involved in the Wexford side of the rebellion. We want to have a thing about this. And that kind of thing and to yeah. really get everyone's stories out there which i think was fundamentally great i don't i think yeah. that was a really nice thing we're having this big celebration it was really about how do we remember this and how do we remember everyone who was involved and also as well uh remembering the the british who were involved in it as well i mean these are people who are for the most part conscripted who don't have much for saying the matter so there was a real mm-hmm. sense of let's get those stories let's get the full picture of this rather than just a very sort of up until maybe the seventies or eighties, a real sort of one, one stop story of this. There was a real sense of let's actually have a full picture of what happened in nineteen sixteen, which I think was 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 great. And everyone got really involved, like like huge parades all around the country, huge crowds come to see things. People got really engaged with their history, which was just brilliant to see. Yeah, and I think you can even see it in the 
like a lot of those exhibitions that maybe were, I mean, certainly there's plenty that were temporary that have since gone away, but there's a lot that have been made permanent and there's a lot Mm -hmm. that have really stood to continue to garner public interest, both like, like the local public, but also, you know, obviously tourists and stuff like that. Do you remember, was it like, was it a big, was it just kind of, I, like in Ireland or like was it a big kind of not tourism push because again like if you're trying to like you know have it more of a commemoration like honoring mm-hmm. people and and you know sharing stories and stuff it's not like you know hey come and listen about how these people died but like <laughs> um do you remember like was there was there advertising for tourism or like do you, was there because certainly in the U.S. there'd be there would have been, especially in the years after, big pushes to to call back on like Irish Americans to donate money and things like that. Was there that same kind of call for the centenary that you remember? Um, obviously, not that. You out, so outside of Ireland, there was certainly little things here or there. I don't know there's a huge push. Like I said, I was in London and you wouldn't have known it was a thing. There was a yeah. local, the only thing about well. London, there was, a, there was a local Irish community group, um, very young group, whose <laughs> testimony to 1916 was about 20 of them, sorry, it was about 120 people gathered in a field in uh, London and tried to drink 1916 cans. Like oh. one thousand nine hundred and sixteen cans, yes. and that was yeah. their, and that was the only thing I found in London that was a reference okay. to this rebellion. So, <laughs> in that context, not so much. There was a push. The, the The whole decade of centenaries has seen a thing happen called the gathering, which is a huge call to kind of l- l- work with the Irish diaspora and to get people involved with the Irish diaspora and to make mm. the Irish diaspora not so much come home, but to kind of feel a part of everything that's been happening. Mm. Yeah. Um, so that's been a huge push. I think that particularly in um, America, we've seen a huge kind of call for that, but also all around this the world. This podcast as well. is brought to you by The Gathering. Come on home to Ireland, <laughs> land of a thousand welcomes, Falcha. <laughs> I mean, that's essentially what it was, yeah. <laughs> like, they, uh, yeah, so it, there was that kind of thing. But uh, Just yeah, me doing was... another sponsorship without getting paid for it. <laughs> Oh, you have so much to learn. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Yeah. We, um, yeah, so there is a, there was a little bit, but not a huge amount, yeah. I don't think. I mean, obviously, like, yeah, like I said, local groups with their own things, but there wasn't yeah. a huge, no, there wasn't a huge push outside of Ireland. Uh, I mean, I but clearly the push still in... didn't know anything. <laughs> but the push in Ireland itself is big enough to make up for everything it was. Yeah. It's hard to put into words just how big it was and I think one of the big concerns was then okay we've gotten big for 1916 this huge thing that we can kind of celebrate you know it's an Irish rebellion and it's very easy to remember and stuff how do you go on and do that with like the war of independence and in particular with what we're in now which is the civil war yeah. and it's funny we literally spent like from 2013 to 20, 2013 to 2019 going oh god oh god how do you deal with this how do you possibly deal with this extraordinarily 
complicated period of history mm-hmm. and then we got a 2020 and COVID happened and we kind of didn't have to do it it was quite yeah. handy because like we don't have to have these big events because we can't have events so it's actually yeah. grand so we're, we're holding out if we get COVID can last one more year we won't have to actually commemorate anything when the war of defense was civil war which would be kind yeah. of handy yeah and just to say like obviously like civil wars like Americans know that they're still like unresolved kind of things from the civil war in the u.s and like there still are tensions between the north and the south so like you know selfish to say like it especially i think because it's so recent it's you know maybe people are only a generation separated if that i think the concerns over those where it's still so personal um it was kind of my understanding um whereas it's in some ways easier to rally around just the idea of Ireland becoming a free and independent nation versus like how do we be a free and independent nation or do we fully become one or like how in what ultimately the (laughs) door just slammed no the door just slammed and I wasn't expecting it Oh, me trying to was, be deep and profound. A, I was gonna say, it was such a deep point, totally ruined. I know, and now it's just like, undone. What? So basically, yeah, I literally lost <laughs> well, my train of thought. But. <laughs> supposed to jump in on it. Uh, you're, yes. you're totally right. I think that the what's interesting from a museum perspective on this is that with 1916, it's been ex- extremely easy to get people to to donate artifacts and to tell mm. their stories and like i said mm-hmm. earlier people want to tell these stories with the um civil war in particular it's very very hard to do it um yeah. i'm working on a project at the moment say about uh, the role that women would have played in this period mm. and i was putting together artifacts to talk about the civil war and i actually had nothing and i had to actually start that we can't do the civil war because we have no artifacts we can't mm. tell the story because people aren't People don't want to remember it. I don't know has it been made more complicated, but the fact of the where uh, one the cause of the, the civil war is the fact that the state of Northern Ireland is sort of copper fastened by the Anglo-Irish Treaty, which is signed the end of the war of independence. And yeah. that's is that still a fact? Is that why the tensions are there as well? I'm not sure, but really, I think any country has a civil war, that tension yeah. is also that people just don't want to remember it. And but that anniversary is coming very shortly because that begins in. June 1922 so it'll be very interesting to see in a couple of months from now how we begin as a society to to handle that yeah yeah that'll be and what a way to end the decade of centenaries (laughs) as well with like potentially the most like contentious of all of the events that happen and for you know many reasons but um right okay so I think those are all of the pieces that I wanted to talk about. Obviously, again, like we could sit here and try to record this Zoom meeting for three hours and then I could try to cut it down to like 45 minutes about 1916 specifically. But I think, you know, kind of if it sparks an interest, there can be a part two and I, you know, we can do more about it. But just as it's an event coming up that like, Irish people would be paying attention to and would be aware of and kind of since its centenary was so recent I think it's kind of interesting to kind of just give the the basics of what happened and kind of mark for people who might not be aware 
how, when, why it became such a point worth mm-hmm. marking. So unless there's any pieces that you think we would be absolutely like rotten if we forgot to mention, I think I'm happy to leave that there if you are. I think I have confused your audience enough for Monday. Yes. <laughs> but it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for yeah, having me on. Thank you so much for coming on, Dermot. And my mom always likes to comment whenever I have Irish people on. She sends me a text about what she thinks of the accent. So I'll be sure to uh, let you know where you stand in the accent ranking um, because I'm probably going to have a whole episode of my mom's accent ranking. So stay tuned that's, for that one that's intriguing i'm fundamentally do not believe i have an irish accent and i'm sure you have an entire american audience listening on what is he possibly talking about but <laughs> i promise i don't have it so i'm fascinated to know uh, where i both where i am on your irish accent ranking and also where my colleagues who've been on this podcast before where they are i want to see who's most irish of all of us now i'm very curious i'll send it mom. i'll send it in the group chat <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Dermot. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in and listening. If you have any questions, if you want me to actually get into it more, if you're like, Shannon, your degree is to just generalize about stuff and not actually tell details, fine. I can get into it more. But I think this is a great uh, start. And enjoy the rest of your day, week, whatever, folks. Thanks so much for listening. Bye. Bye.